when the volume of fire exceeds about, let's just say 12 to 15 activated sprinkler heads, and it does not control it, once that happens, it's a loser for the fire department. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. Just about every area served by a fire department includes at least one large warehouse. If you drive by it, I'm sure you wonder how well your department would deal with a fire inside it. But in the last few years, truly massive warehouses have started to appear. These monsters aren't measured in square feet, but in acres of land covered. If anything from a fire to a natural disaster brings you to one of them, your department may well be overwhelmed with the situation. That's why today's guest says you must prepare well in advance for a mega warehouse event. Steve Lohr is the fire chief in Hagerstown, Maryland. In 2014, he retired as chief of the Montgomery County, Maryland Fire Rescue Department after a 30-year career. And Steve Lohr joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you for having me, Scott. Happy to uh, join you and have a conversation about Mega Warehouse. It's great to have you. So let's start by defining the term Mega Warehouse. As far as I know, it is not an industry term. It's something my uh, fire marshal staff and I have come up with here. Just outside our uh, municipal boundary, uh, we probably have about a dozen of these very large, extra large, mega, whatever adjective you want to put in front of them, warehouses. All right. So how big is a mega warehouse as opposed to a non-mega warehouse? Well, we have uh, what I would consider a non-mega warehouse in the vicinity of 250,000 square feet. Our largest right now is 1.2 million square feet, and we have two 1 million square feet warehouses that it's my understanding the developer is going to be uh, requesting a permit to co-join those two 1 million square foot warehouses. Are buildings that big typically newer construction? They are. Now, certainly uh, there's exceptions to that rule. Hagerstown is also the home of the Mack Volvo truck powertrain division. I actually worked there for 11 years as a young man. That facility is probably 1.5 million square feet manufacturing, not storage and distribution, but built in the early 60s, draft curtains, sprinklered, hazard areas, uh, isolated with three-hour firewalls, fire doors, that kind of thing in the uh, heat treat area. And, uh, you know, for lack of a better description, it was a very large machine shop under one roof with assembly areas. That's been modernized, of course. And uh, I guess one of the differences between that facility, which we've protected for many years, 
And what we're seeing now is what I would describe as the fuel load. Tell me about the fuel load. Are you talking about the kind of things these warehouses store? Or are you talking about how the interior structure is built? Well, I, I think we have to talk about both. You know, one of the things that improvements in sprinkler technology has uh, bought us, Scott, is, um, you know, we trade away other features of fire protection. First of all, there is no bigger supporter for automatic sprinkler uh, technology of any kind in any occupancy than Steve Lohr. It is uh, simply the best fire protection money can buy. I believe that with my whole heart and my soul. But we have essentially given back any redundant features of fire protection that in my lifetime, in my career, in the fire service, have been taught that, that actually work. You know, separation, height and area limitations, fire department access, the combustibility of the building materials, like a rubber roof, as opposed to a uh, stone tar and chip roof, you know, all those things. And then when I look at what I'm seeing here, 45 foot tall buildings, a million square feet or more under one flat roof with essentially no separation horizontally. Now, I think the way we got there is that the height and area limitation tables and the ICC building codes uh, respect sprinklers as they should. But I'm not sure we've done a fair job assessing the real risk there. So what you're saying is we're asking too much of a potential sprinkler system. Well, I don't know if we are or not. That testing has not been uh, fully vetted. I can tell you what I see and what I look at is when you have 40-foot tall rack storage space 10 feet apart, picks made by artificially intelligent robots. And, and one of the things that's changed is that what con was conventionally wood pallets, maybe steel tubs, those kind of things are now solid plastic pallets plastic containers wrapped in plastics all hydrocarbon and you know i coined the phrase solidified gasoline you know are they more difficult to ignite probably but once they're ignited they take off once ignited they are a challenge for any fire department in any town usa and i just think that we don't know what the impact of this is. We've seen a couple cases around the country off the I-10 out in Southern California. Obviously, the Walmart warehouse in uh, just west of Indianapolis. And hey, and not just fires. What about tornadoes? What about uh, other weather events where, you know, these employees, two, three hundred at a time, we have a responsibility get them out of a building that is more than a quarter mile long and six, 800 foot wide. I'm just not sure this is a good idea. You know, what is an acceptable level of loss, either from fire, from wind, from water, and can we do better with this? 
I personally think, based on my own experience, that we simply have the height and area limitations and the code's wrong. So what's the available water supply like for these mega warehouses? Is it more apt to be a city hydrant or some sort of a storage tank on property? Well, I guess it really depends on where you are. We have a uh, municipal water system here in our community. Um, These warehouses are required to have a two-hour water supply on their own private loop. That typically is a 250,000-gallon tank. If you look at the codes closely, it requires a two and a half inch fire department connection like you would have on any other building. We looked at this pretty closely in the plans review process. We said, you know what, we're going to heavy that up a little bit. So we we did a closer view of NFPA 13, the sprinkler code and NFPA 14, the standpipe code, and we made some additions. I can share some of those with you. It's not all inclusive, but that we believe will put us in a better position on game day if we're in the middle of a firefight in one of these properties. Well, let me ask you this. How likely is it that the changes you've made will make it possible to extinguish a fire in one of these buildings? Is it just the best that you could do for in terms of getting that sort of thing passed? Or is it really enough to do the job? You know, honestly, Scott, I don't know the answer to that question. What I would tell you is that we know we have to provide reasonable access if we go into a manual firefight. We have to be able to deliver an uninterrupted water supply, both when the first sprinkler head goes off and maintain that through a manual firefight if the sprinkler system doesn't contain it. And we have to have adequate access, particularly for elevated master streams, if the roof gets ignited for any reason. You know, the practical reach of an elevated master stream from the tip without the impact of wind is about 100 feet plus or minus 10%. Now, that's been my experience throughout my career. When you have a building that's 600 feet wide, 800 feet wide, you can surround it with elevated master streams, and you're not going to reach the center portion of that roof. You just aren't. Couple that with your apparatus is likely to be set up about 60 feet from the edge of the building that's 45 foot tall. Uh, because of the trailers parked around it at 500 bays. That doesn't give any fire department, I don't care how well trained you are, how well equipped you are, what your water supply is, a fighting chance once the roof becomes ignited. So assuming that one of these places does catch fire, would you think that this kind of a fire would be fought offensively or defensively? Well, it's my belief that if the volume of fire in the building and it doesn't matter whether it starts with a lightning strike outside of the sprinkled space or it starts in the rack storage and you may have in-rack sprinklers that control it, hallelujah. If it does, the ceiling sprinklers may control it. But when the volume of fire exceeds about, let's just say, 12 to 15 
activated sprinkler heads and it does not control it. I think that's what we're seeing around the country. Once that happens, it's a loser for the fire department. They, they're not going to be able to put manual streams in place. They're not going to be able to sustain the water supply long enough to fight it. But the truth is, we don't know. If we get lucky, uh, we did some things here. We put a two and a half inch connection on the header below the uh, sprinkler valves at every man door so that we can run a large volume manual line if we have to put a large volume stream inside, uh, I'm sorry, in service on the inside if the fire has not exceeded the capacity of the sprinkler system, so on and so forth. We've also acquired two additional, and in our case, we use four-inch supply line. So in addition to the minimum two-and-a-half-inch FTC connection, we have two four-inch FTC connections that are on the pump house, and we position a, a municipal hydrant just outside the fence line, the private loop, to be able to lay from the municipal system into the pump house and keep that water supply coming if the 250,000 gallons of stored water uh, is outpaced by our own operations or whatever is going on inside the building. This is an awfully specific kind of firefighting. How do you guys train for this? Well, we're in the process of it now. You know, we uh, we carry dual beds of four-inch supply lines. We have a very aggressive standard operating guideline for structure fires in general. We put two engines in the ladder in the front of whatever's on fire. We put two engines in the ladder in the rear uh, so that we have adequate coverage. And they each two engines ladder has an independent water supply that can be expanded by the second pumper. And we will we hope that will carry the day if we get into one of these warehouses uh, where something goes, what I like to say, left the boom. You know, when for whatever reason, the system's off, the system's uh, being maintained. We have an arson fire, a lightning strike. The fuel load is just too much for the design of the uh, rack storage and sprinkler heads that uh, we have to go to work manually. We only have two personnel assigned to each company here in the city. And we know that doing any of this is going to be a struggle. So we have built what we call here in the East Coast leader lines, three-inch leader lines, that we could put large streams in service. We have portable deluge sets that could theoretically be deployed inside the warehouse. We have solid bore nozzles, standpipe packs that we're just a little better equipped than some of our neighbors, I think, to go to work with large volume streams quickly. But we're not arrogant enough to believe that with our staffing level, we may not be able to get ahead of one of these fires if it has a head start. Well, philosophically then, do you think there's such a thing as a structure that's simply too large for a fire department to effectively defend it? I do, and it's the structures we're talking about. If, if you look at all the factors that typically, you know, I've been taught over a, a career of 50 years to assess height area, fuel load, access, 
water supply, etc., etc. This is almost a perfect storm. So it's the kind of thing that as you drive down the highway and you see it off to the side, you think one of these days, if that happens, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah, and I'm also of the belief, you know, looking backwards on my career, that if you build anything, a treehouse, and, you know, human nature being what it is, sometime in the life of that structure, a treehouse, a single-family dwelling, an apartment building, a warehouse, a manufacturing facility, you are going to have a fire event. If you approach our fire problem from that standpoint, then you have to do the realistic risk assessment. Hopefully, have it sprinkled, and hopefully, the fixed features of fire protection uh, will handle a incipient fire that's growing, and everybody has a good day. It's those bizarro set of events where that doesn't happen for whatever reason. And when that happens, and when the design of the fixed fire protection is seated, now we're not talking about a single-family dwelling. We're not talking about a treehouse. We're not talking about a restaurant or a strip shopping center. We're talking about a million square foot uh, facility and up and all the indirect losses that come with that. Jobs, replenishing, whatever that is. Will the owners, developers just simply walk away from it? Will they knock it down? In the meantime, loss of tax base for the community. I, I just think it makes more sense to look at this from a prevention standpoint and say, look, if company X needs a million square foot of distribution space, is it the end of the world if we divide that into four 250,000 square foot, still under one roof, but with two or three hour firewall separations, automatic fire doors, and then that gets us to the point of what I would describe as a maximum sustainable loss. Okay, we can probably defend up to 250,000 square foot a lot easier if we have some kind of horizontal separation there that actually penetrates the roof line. A million square feet, a million point two square feet that's running on us, I'm not sure we can do that. All right, Steve Lohr, thanks for joining me on Code 3. It was a pleasure talking to you. And there's more information on working fires at these massive warehouses at our website, Code3Podcast.com slash Mega Warehouse. All one word, Mega Warehouse. In other news, I've posted a bull session entry from Steve on our page for patrons of the podcast. Just head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support to get to that. If you're not a patron already, you can sign up to support the show right on that page. If you find Code 3 to be valuable to your professional development, you can pledge any amount to keep the material coming to you. $10 a month gets you access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions, where I post occasional extra material that didn't make the main show. By the way, have you sent in a topic that you think I should cover in a future show? You can just email it to scott at code3podcast.com. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. 
Thank you for listening. I'll be back again next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.